Hello and welcome to Bootstrap, the podcast for software bootstrappers. If you are running a software company or looking to start one, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Steve McLeod. So I'm grateful today to have Sylvester Dupont from Passeur as my guest. Hi, Sylvester. Hi, Steve. How are you? Great, thanks. Before we started recording, we were just talking about how to pronounce this name and how hard it is for us native English speakers to get the fine pronunciation of French. So why don't you tell me and the audience exactly how your name is pronounced? Yeah, so my name is Sylvestre. That's the way you would pronounce it as a French. Uh, you can pronounce it any way you like, really. Even John and Tom would work if really you're struggling. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's the same for our product. Our product is called Parseur, which is a payoff word on the English name Parseur. Um, so it, it was quite funny. We had a few people at, uh, on the phone, and uh, every time we do support, uh, if they're from the US or on a native French speaker, they, <laughs> they always ask me how to pronounce it. So for those who are wondering exactly how to spell Passeur, it's P-A-R-S-E-U-R, like the word Passeur, Passeur with a U-R at the end instead of just an R. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, quite hard to pronounce, but it makes it a very uh, short domain name, <laughs> which was quite a good thing for us. Were you able to get that domain, the .com version of that domain name from day one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and before we thought about that name, uh, at the very beginning, when we were still trying to see if there was a market, we uh, had another name. We had CaptainParser.com. Um, but then we said, hey, maybe Parser is shorter and would work better. So you said Captain Parser. Yeah, Captain Parser, like in a Marvel. Oh, wow, I think you did much better with Parser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a struggle. Naming's hard, isn't it? Yeah, but it's it's a struggle, but to be honest, I love it. Um, I have many ideas about projects all the time, and I love to do business case and to do research and stuff as a hobby, let's say. And just for me, naming something, finding a name and a domain that is available and, and try to see how it could work from a branding perspective is something I really enjoy doing. Uh, yeah, the, the early days where the actual customers and money coming in is just a fantasy and you can really yes. just imagine the kind of miss those days yeah well as i said i'd still do it i don't have any other active side project at the moment but it's turned into a bit of a hobby i have an excel sheet with many ideas and the ones that i think may be something one day uh, i start to scratch a bit of uh, for research and find a domain name or something so i have uh, quite a few domain names on the side that are uh, very useless i think we all do <laughs> I did a cleanup last year and let a few domain names go, some that I've had for like maybe 10 years, and I had to finally accept that I was never going to do anything with them. That is sad, isn't it, to let go of a domain name? Yeah, I have some struggle to, to do it myself. Yeah, and each one is like $10 a year or $12 a year, but at one point you realize like over yeah. the years, the 10 domain names, the 20 domain names that I've been paying for for every year, that, that's like maybe the ticket to Mauritius and back. <laughs> oh, Mauritius. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on to that soon about Mauritius. I haven't mentioned yet, but Sylvester lives on a tropical island in the Indian Ocean, which is the thing that actually really got me interested in having him on this podcast as a guest. But we'll get to that soon. 
Sylvester, yep. tell me what Pasua is, what it does. All right. So Pasua is a B2B SaaS. What it does, it, it's a service that automates text extraction from email. So it's a bit of a mouthful. It's basically for companies that receive too many emails and machine-generated emails for most of them or, or documents and can cope up with having uh, somebody to copy and paste it from the email inbox to an Excel or to their CRM app or to their logistic tracking app, whichever. So we started this company a bit, not by mistake, but like a bit randomly because where I was building a travel map app and I was bored of having to enter my trips single one by one to make my pretty map. So I said, hey, that would be great if... Uh, we would have a software that could forward all my emails to and make an app, the, the map form. And this is when I started to research into that. And, and there were quite a few other products that were doing it, but not the way I thought it was either too simple for my use case or too complex to set up. So that's how the, the idea was born initially. And we started to brainstorm with uh, the now co-founder of Parser, a very long friend of mine, called Sylvain, so I'm called Sylvestre, and he's called Sylvain, that's not a problem. And yeah, we, we started to research about the idea and talked about it and decided to give it a go late of 2015, so that's quite a bit already. And it was our first product, we did all the mistakes we had to, um, so we didn't launch until one year later. So we launched uh, December 2016. And we launched without having a single client that we knew would pay for that. We launched without really having a clear idea of what the potential customers would be. Uh, and they turned out to be quite different from the ones we thought would be uh, there, like a traveling company, travel agents. And the only thing we knew is that there were a few other competitors in the place and they, were, they seemed to be making money. So we said, hey, maybe you can take a shot of that. Were they making money or did they have good-looking websites? The two are not necessarily the same. Yeah, that's true. We were fortunate enough to have a bit of a glimpse of one of the business cases of another of the major competitor in the in the area that had gone on a, on a podcast on uh, indie hackers. <laughs> so that was quite interesting to to look. Uh, and uh, he's a, he's also a, a user of the Bootstrap uh, discuss forums as well. So very well he uh, joins there. So we knew they were making money. We knew that the guy was trying to launch another project and more or less uh, had sold his original product to a, a venture company specializing in growing SaaS. And, okay. and we weren't too happy about the, what his product was. We thought we could do it a bit simpler. So we tried. And uh, we are here still today, so it worked. Wonderful. So you really ignored the whole world of thinking about getting a MVP, a minimum viable product out in three months and do a whole lot of customer research at the beginning. And it still worked out for you. Yeah, the sad thing is that we knew about that. We knew we had to have customer before. We knew we had to have an MVP out of the door as soon as possible. But that didn't happen. It was uh, way more complex than we had envisioned. The only customer research we did was to set up a fake website called Captain Passer at the time, as I said, and uh, pay for some Google ads over a few days during the weekend to see if people would give, uh, give us their email. We had like 10 or 20 people that give their email. So we said, ah, some people wow. <laughs> are coming here, so maybe let's do it. But it was the, our land page was very, of course, uh, we can do everything, we can pass everything. Uh -huh. uh, it's going to be all automated, no worries. It's going to uh, solve so much trouble and time for you. And uh, 
of course, because we didn't know what we were building yet. Um, so yeah, in uh, in hindsight now, if I had to start a big project in this one, of course, I would not spend that much time into an MVP and would not spend that much time working on the code before having one customer, one person interested. So tell me, it's fully bootstrapped? Yeah, totally uh, fully bootstrapped. Uh, so we had two people. Uh, we invested time at first, more or less, not on a full-time basis, but quite dedicated. Um, I was mostly full-time, but I was retooling myself from uh, 10 years working in consulting. Um, so I had uh, originally had an, uh, an IT background, but I spent 10 years doing Excel spreadsheets and conf calls and PowerPoints. <laughs> so I had a little bit of time you know, to get back to the joys of coding, which I enjoyed very much. So I was going to ask how you managed to get yourself away from the lucrative world of consulting, but I think maybe you answered with the PowerPoint <laughs> um, line. Yeah, well, it's partly that and partly life. My girlfriend at the time, now wife, was moving. She's Dutch and she had a project in Paris at first when we met and then her work center sent her to the south of France in the French Riviera, Nice. Wow. Uh, which, if you know, it is way better than Paris <laughs> for everything else. So for me, it was the perfect occasion to jump ship and uh, retool myself and into something new. Wow, that's that's really nice. So for a little while there, I guess your girlfriend, now wife, was financially yes. helping you get this going. And that's very grateful for that. And also yeah. because France is a nice little socialist country and <laughs> um, they actually gave me money to start my own company so i was able for more than a year to get an employment money like if i was looking for a job wow. and to start my own company and that was very nice and i'm not aware of any other country that does that i've never heard of that that is really really nice yeah it's incredible and it was very poorly managed in the sense that after my uh, you had to make a dossier, you know, to say, okay, to, so it was a business case to show what you were going to do, how you were going to do it, of course, so that they don't give it to anybody. But once this step was passed, um, they never checked up on me. So I could have gone to the beach every day and uh, sip on cocktails every day uh, with my, uh, my pension, uh, my early pension, and uh, everything would have uh, worked the same, which is a bit sad. It's possible, but I suspect that the people who have enough motivation to apply for this money and go through all the hurdles are probably the type of people driven to do something besides sitting on the beach and sipping cocktails every day. Yeah, exactly. For me, it was really a golden time because I had all the time in the world to retrain myself, start some uh, some projects and, uh, and try something new, uh, and I would never have been able to do it otherwise. That's wonderful. Uh, you see a lot of uh, drive-by insults on the internet about different government systems and political systems, but it's really nice to hear something so positive there about the, yeah. the French um, and the French system. A question I had about what Pasteur is, so you described it as something that kind of extracts content from emails in a, and puts them into a structured system. Yeah. So it kind of sounds like something I could do with Zapier or Zapier. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that one either. How do you compare yourselves to Zapier? So Zapier, I, I say Zapier, but I don't know either. What they do is that they interconnect different apps. 
So you want to send some data from Trello to your Google Sheet or the other way around, and they do that for you. They allow you to do that easily. And Zapier also have a side project, side product called Zapier Parser, where they allow you to send emails. They, they do exactly the same as we we're doing. They allow you to send emails to them, and then you can see that emails on their web app, and you highlight the data that you and you would like to extract. And then once the, the next time you send some other data, you they would extract the same data and then push it to whichever app you also connect it on the other hand of your Zapier app, it's called. Um, so for us, and it's very nice, it's point and click, you, you, they show you your text version of your email, you highlight it, and, and then hopefully the next email you send that looks the same, it works. Uh, but it's a bit of a, it's a free app, so that's great, but hence it's a bit limited. Uh, it's not, it can break quite a few times if your email are a tiny bit different. It can uh, it converts your email into text. So if you have some very rich uh, emails with formatting and all, it may not be uh, looking too good and maybe be hard to manage. So us, we, we uh, did get inspired by the simplicity of the Zapier parser, and then we built our own tool that was supposedly be able to cater wider use uh, cases, a wider range of, uh, of use cases. Okay, that sounds really interesting. I think there's quite a lot of opportunity in taking one part of a large product and just doing that. This is very much what my own product is, Feature Upvote. Here are products that do what we do plus a whole lot more, but people sometimes want that built-for-purpose uh, product. It's also they tend to be searching online for this specific thing, and the product that does everything is not going to capture those Google searches. Yeah, that's true. And, and one of the reasons why we took one year to uh, put out our MVP was maybe also it was because it was our first product. But another reason is that email are messy. Email are complex. Uh, oh, yeah. As soon as you forward an email from any client, they decide to change everything inside. Um, so there, there is an element of complexity here that we had that envisioned at first. And we spent a lot of time iterating on different solutions to be able to have something that remains easy to use, but underneath can cater for all the different formats and whatever you get. And so, yeah, so uh, you cannot do that as a side project, I believe. So I can understand that Zapier did something nice and easy to start with uh, to for, for so that the client that really had the need for that had, had something to work with. But when, once your uh, usage becomes a bit more advanced, you want to switch to a bit of a more powerful product and people that have the time and the bandwidth to spend more time in R&D and make something that works a bit uh, for, for more use cases. It makes a lot of sense. So you've mentioned about the time you took off to be able to learn Pasteur and about why you started it. But what was it that made you finally decide that this was something you were going to do full-time? So we launched in 2016 in December. Mm -hmm. We had... It's just, so at that point, you were working full-time on it or just on the side? Yeah, myself, I was. My co-founder had uh, some uh, things on the side. So uh, he was he's a developer by trade, so he, he was having some gigs on the side. Between the time we launched and our first ever customer, it was, I think, four months... Four months of nothingness, four months of dread, <laughs> <laughs> trying to, to, to see. Uh, we had a, a chat box on the website. So, uh, uh, of course, the first few weeks, nobody 
was there, but that makes sense. Um, but after four months, it starts to be a bit long. So, and finally, at some point, we had one person. So in between the four months, we slashed our pricing because we just wanted validation. So we, we had started with a minimum price of 49 uh, euros at the time mm-hmm. and uh, decided to go down to nine. Wow. Just that's to desperation. Yeah, well, it was nine for less. We are volume based, so we said, okay, for tenths of the tenths of the volume, we give you the nine euro plan. And one day in April, I think 2017, somebody gave us nine euros, and God, that was the best <laughs> day of my life. My nine euros minus the one point sixty something from Stripe, and I had the eight euros. I drank <laughs> ten times that amount in beers at night, but uh, that was good. So it's eight euro split of, across two people to pay for more than a year's <laughs> worth of uh, of work. Yeah, yeah. So before that, before that first sale, we were about to give up. I started to to just look for some jobs, uh, remote jobs, or anything really, um, and go back to my uh, former industry in consulting. Um, my co-founder had started to find some uh, full-time gigs to to help because we have to eat at the end of the day. And that first sale made us uh, really uh, gave us a boost and it quickly spirals in a good way from there. Uh, we had uh, quickly some people uh, paying us more money. We are people that have uh, found us, more people that found us that were aligned with what uh, we were offering. So I guess we were also good, better at refining our message and our sales uh, or web pages and our SEO and everything. Yeah, and then at that time, it, it was still not paying the bills for uh, almost for the full year of 2017 for paying the bills. So I also started to look for some uh, part-time uh, jobs on the side. Um, and my, my co-founder went full-time on something else. Uh, but by the end of uh, 2017, we had a couple of very large customers that wanted to give us many money. So we said, hey, okay, so let's uh, get back uh, to focus and we uh, give it a, a change to, to parser. And we have been growing uh, double digits since then. Every month. That's awesome. So, yeah, so don't give up. Well, the, the first uh, take back is, of course, find yourself a customer before you launch anything. Please. And the second one, if you don't follow step one, don't, don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember how you found that, that first customer or how they found you? Yes, yes. I asked them, of course, and for Squora. Okay. It sounds like many new uh, little startups uh, found their first customers in Quora because it provides you very targeted uh, uh, yeah. leads. It's incredible. You can, uh, they are quite lenient on advertising your products and putting links and all, which uh, is still, uh, the last time I checked, was still the case. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to wait for Google to index your site and everything. I think you can use Quora to get to the top very quickly because Quora results, often, to get to the top of Google search results, sort of bypassing Google itself, Quora yeah. pages often rank very highly, and you can add your answer to a Quora question that's at the top of the Google rankings for a particular search term, and bam, now you're up there. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a wonderful tool. It's, it's great also to see how other people are wording their problem, so to, to also understand how people are looking for you. Uh, see the text they're using, the keywords, uh, because at least for us, we are, it's quite a niche thing to extract text from email. It's parsing is something that has a lot of meaning in technical and dev world, but for the average person, it doesn't mean anything. So, so it's, it was very interesting to, to score also as a research for SEO. 
we got most of our first 10 customers from Quora as well. I think the first couple came from the bootstrapped forums. And then after that, it was mostly Quora. Yeah, yeah. I think Quora is great for that. As time passes, Quora has become less important to us, but it was so helpful at the beginning. Even just giving us one customer this month and two customers that month, it was it was just something to help us know that we had a product that people wanted. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've been through the similar stories. Uh, today, for us, Quora is still a lead uh, source for, for leads, but it's not the, the first one by far, but it still gives us some qualified uh, leads. Today, for us, what we find is that the most qualified leads are coming from Zapier because we integrate with Zapier, of course, so that we can send the data to as many apps as people may use. Okay. And uh, so, so it's incredibly uh, converting. A lead that is from Zapier coming to Parser has, uh, has like 20, 25% of chance of becoming a, a paying customer. It's crazy. In terms of volume of leads, it's Google now, Google search that is the most... Uh, it's not very much converting in the same way as Zapier, but in terms of volume, it brings us most of our customers. So on the Zapier traffic, do people find your Zapier page or your Zapier integration via Google, or do they find it in Zapier itself? Yeah, I don't know the answer for sure. I think some of people are already Zapier customers and they have a new use case that involves emails and they, they look for Zapier and they find us. Okay. Yeah, and Zapier, they, we got featured in a few years ago in one of the articles about what is the best email parser, something like that. And we were mentioned along with uh, some other products. So it helped us a lot to gain some visibility and highlight the pros and cons of uh, each solution. Oh, that's wonderful. Zapier has awesome SEO. I mean, those guys do it so, yeah. those guys and girls do it so well. And when you get a chance to piggyback on that, I think it's also a great boost. But I, I've never heard of someone having such good success at it. I've just made a note to myself that we need to do a bit more with Zapier. Yeah, for, for us, we are, we are we are not a standalone product. We are nothing. Uh, the only thing people, if they only have a subscription to Parser, is they can download their data as, as CSV or as uh, as Excel. Uh, but when, uh, and our tool is mostly directed to large volumes. So our smallest plan is for people that wants to process more than 1,000, up to 1,000 emails or documents a month. So yeah, so if you have that kind of volume, you don't want to download your Excel sheet every day. It's, it doesn't yeah. make sense. So you want to send it to your apps or to your own server, which for which we have webhooks. But uh, yeah, we, we are very much dependent on tools like Zapier. We also integrate with Microsoft Flow, which is the same for Microsoft from Microsoft and Integromat, which is another competitor of Zapier. Sounds like a great business you've got going there. Yeah, try. <laughs> I want to ask you about Mauritius. Why? How? I, <laughs> I, this is almost the stereotypical dream is that I'm going to start my own online business and then I'm going to move to a tropical island and I'm going to swim with dolphins and I'm going to surf <laughs> and I'm going to drink cocktails. Or, but... You're somebody who actually did this. Tell me about it. Why and how? So maybe that may have to take a tiny step back because Parser as a company, is, so it's a company headquartered in the Netherlands. And the reason mm-hmm. for that is that at the time when we saw that Parser was starting to make a good amount of money and it could be something viable, we decided to create a dedicated company for that with my co-founder. And at the time, by chance, it happened that both him and I were living in the Netherlands. Um, so we decided that let's create a company there then. You went from Nice to the Netherlands? 
Yes, after Nice, I relocated my wife, that is Dutch. Uh, her job ended and uh, her job sent her back to the Netherlands. So I followed and we relocated to the Netherlands, to a lovely city of Groningen, which is at the very top of the Netherlands, and where the weather is always rainy and cold. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we decided to open a, a company in the Netherlands. Uh, we had heard, you know, in the news that oh, uh, Netherlands is quite business friendly. It's, uh, it's quite easy to, it appears uh, quite a few times on the list to do business with, um, which is kind of true. But when you don't speak Dutch, it's a bit less true because uh, still uh, all the documentation is in Dutch. So we had to use some people uh, to help us uh, getting started. And a few, uh, still because life is life, a few months after the company was up and running, my co-founder had to go back to Paris. So he left us, sadly, um, to find some uh, opportunities there for, for the, the girlfriend of his. And so I went, I was the one remaining there. And uh, end of last year, Passo was starting to make uh, enough money for us to think about leaving from it, including my, without my wife's uh, salary. So we did say, hey, okay, so... Parcel is fully online. We are a remote team. We want to stay remote. We don't need offices or anything. So that means we could potentially choose anywhere to live in. Um, so we started to look for where that anywhere could uh, land us. And it turns out that so you could go more or less everywhere in Europe. That's a nice thing about uh, being European. You can move yourself around and settle a bit more or less wherever you want. So our first choice was Spain, uh, and uh, I had worked in Spain a long time ago when I started my career in Barcelona, okay. so I loved it a lot. I'm living in Barcelona, by the way. Ah, I guess you enjoy it as well. It's a wonderful place to live. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like Spain. Uh, for us, we thought that maybe Barcelona became a bit too touristy, so we had our eyes on Valencia. Um, so, so we were almost confirming to move there. And then uh, I don't know how it happened, really. One weekend I was browsing through the wealth of internet and uh, I ended up looking at Mauritius. And Mauritius has a program to be able to permanently live there if uh, as a self-employed person. So if you meet some conditions in terms of salary, you're, you're contracting yourself out, basically. You're not a company, but you're just uh, like a freelance. And if you have enough contracts to sustain yourself, uh, at the top of my mind is more than 1,000 euro a month for the first year and 2,000 for the, third, the second and third year, then and, and meet some other criteria like uh, you have to show that uh, you, are, you have to show your resume, you have to make a business case, blah blah. And then if you pass all these criteria, you are they give you a, an occupation permit for three years. And we said, hey, that's not too bad, Mauritius. We had uh, had made my uh, had made my proposition to my proposal to my girlfriend Mauritius a few years back. So we knew we had been there. I had worked there before, even uh, when I was consulting. So it was not totally not for us. And uh, in June, the business case, it was even a better plan than Spain for the current revenue we were having because the tax regime is a bit more lenient, let's say. Mm -hmm. So you end up uh, with more money at the end of the month. So we said, hey, okay. That's that's game. So let's do that. 
and we moved, uh, we decided uh, late 2018, it took a few months to get everything ready, all the paperwork and everything. And by uh, we moved through early May to Mauritius. Okay, so you're still quite new in Mauritius. Yeah, yeah, I'm a newbie there. Okay, so you're still in the honeymoon period, so to speak, in which everything about Mauritius is great and you haven't yet discovered that it, the, any negatives? Yeah, so far everything is perfect, everything is great. I know some things are going to start and bother us at some point. Um, the good thing is that we've been, uh, my wife or I, have been living in different countries before. Uh, we have been traveling extensively, so we knew that things at some point change and you are not to you discover things that you had not planned for and uh, it's not all pink everywhere so i hope that this preparation mental preparation about it would make us uh, go through it happily but yeah let's see so far it's great i'm very happy we have uh, to give you an idea to right now i'm calling from the my home which is a full house and the price i pay for the rental of this house is the price i paid for my studio when i was living in paris on the sixth floor with that elevator uh, for 35 square meters. It's the same price. And I have a full house. Maybe it's like 300 square meters with a swimming pool, a generator. Ah, it's it's incredible. Wow. For the Americans listening, 300 square meters in square feet is a lot. I think it's like 3,000 square feet. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's just incredible. Yeah, that's the downside of living in European cities. You do tend to have small apartments with high rent. Yeah, yeah. Life is very different as well. So... You know that uh, you don't have Amazon or anything like that. Everything is very expensive because most of the things are imported. So you you have to also change a bit your life around and not think that, oh, I need a new uh, headset for my computer. Uh, Let me uh, order one day shipping and tomorrow I have it. You have to uh, look on Facebook for people that sell headsets because Facebook is the place to be and to go when you look for something in Mauritius. And uh, ask for people around and then take your car and... uh, go across the island to some tiny shops and find the things you were looking for, which is quite fun. It's quite an adventure every time. It kind of, it kind of sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, as I said, I'm very happy. So I'm having a lot of fun at the moment. So what language are people speaking in Mauritius? A mix. Uh, it's quite fun as well. In Mauritius, they speak Creole between themselves. So Creole is derived from French, very old French from the slave uh, time. And then official languages are English and French. So if you look, for instance, the government speeches at the assembly, they speak English. But if you look at the news on TV or the newspaper or wherever, they speak French. And between themselves, they speak Creole. So there are many different layers of, uh, of uh, languages everywhere on the island. Everything gets mixed and uh, it's quite fun. Uh, it sounds it. Uh, I live here in Barcelona where there's also a couple of official languages plus English is so widely spread. And it's yeah. it's kind of, it's fun. It does make life a little bit more complicated sometimes, but... Yeah, the downsides, uh, and I had the same when I was living in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, I still don't speak any Dutch. And the Netherlands is quite a harsh language. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind of easy grammatically, but the pronunciation and the, the sound of it is a bit harsh. So... But everything becomes an adventure. Like uh, even if they do widely speak English, you you want to go buy some cheese because I'm French, and uh, you have to to learn some new words for for, for cheese or just have to say thank you or please uh, the basics. And, and 
And that makes me wonder whether I will ever go back to live in France where everything uh, as simple as that is not an adventure and can get a bit boring maybe. So I don't know. So I go back to my home country once every year or two for an extended period and I love how easy everything has been on there. But after a (laughs) month, I want to go back to the excitement of of Spain. And I wonder if it will be like that for you, like a little taste of France for a month at a time or two weeks at a time just as uh, keeps you exactly sane. So, so so far it's been exactly that so i think they call it the curse of the expats it's, uh, when you get there it's hard to settle back down to your home country so a lot of people they love it a lot of people really don't enjoy the expat experience and uh, happy to come back it just depends oh it sounds like you've been doing the expat thing for a long time so <laughs> yeah i enjoy i enjoy traveling so i have a bit of experience with that so on the topic of language I noticed that Pasur, the website, as far as I can tell, is only in English, and yet the two founders are both French. Mm-hmm. Why is it that you decided to go with English only? Well, it's a good question. Uh, we didn't decide to go with English only. Uh, we decided that English was the first language we should do, and we have never prioritized since then to go multilingual. Uh, that's something that I'm sure there is a there is some untapped uh, business that we could get. I have no idea how much more we could get by getting some French translation or some other languages. I would be very interested into uh, some people that have uh, made the jump and uh, hear about the results. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, such a story, Steve. Yeah, I, I do know of a couple. I'm running out of time for today, so that would make a great thing to discuss in another <laughs> episode if I can invite (laughs) you back again. Just very quickly, my own company, we also have our landing page in German, French, and Italian. It just happens to be the languages that we speak amongst ourselves in in the company. So uh, I can just buy, just managed to get by in German. We have uh, two Italians and a French speaker. So it helps very much to to do that. One of the Italians is the French speaker. I don't want us to sound like we're bigger than we are. And (laughs) what we find is that we can rank very well in google.de, Germany, for example, for keywords that we would not be able to rank so well for in English. Okay. That's something I think people don't realize uh, is a good advantage of having your marketing site in other languages. You can dominate an SEO because in English, it's so, so competitive now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like you said, you have a couple of competitors you know of already who are on a have been or are on our bootstrap forums. And I'm sure that's just a small part of the entire world of what you do. Yeah, that's true. And at the moment, none of uh, the existing uh, apps that I know of are uh, are in another language than English. So maybe yeah, there is a good niche to tackle here, I agree. I should look into it. Yeah. Okay, so when I asked Sylvester if he wanted to come onto the podcast, he mentioned in passing something about traveling by cargo ship. This is something I'd heard about but I didn't actually believe anybody went through with it because once you start looking into the details, it seems you actually spend long times at sea in not a lot of comfort. So tell us <laughs> where you went and why you went by cargo ship. Yeah. So in 2013, I took a year off from my former consulting business to travel the world. So a sabbatical um, with a deal that uh, the company would uh, would hire me back afterwards because that's the law in France. And again, it's nice. One of the nice perks in France you can have some kind of deals like that. And 
so I had this, I had traveled a bit for extended periods of times before, up to four weeks, six weeks, taking all my uh, yearly holidays at once. But this time I, I wanted more. It's a bit like an addiction sometimes to travel. And I said, okay, I'm going to save a lot for five years. And then uh, after five years, I'm going to go around the world for one year. And because it's good to have challenges, I decided to try and go around the world without flying. So when you set yourself to such a challenge and you start to look into what does that mean in real life, you see that you have no many choices because there is a lot of water around. And so you have to cross that water. And without the pain, it means something that floats. So whether you take a sailing boat or cargo ships or, or, or cruise ships, but the cargo ships are the most numerous lines. They, they go from everywhere to everywhere. So the most chances you have is to find a cargo that would accept you. And there has been, it's quite a niche market there too. There has been some travel agents that are specialized in booking you as a passenger on cargo ships. Not all of them, not all the company, not all the lines, but quite a few of them. And I reached out to such a company, uh, actually a few of them, and I started to plan my trip around the world based on those cargo chills. So you have to know that when you book a cargo travel, you are, of course, not the star of the travel. The star of the travel is the cargo that is being transported. You are just a tiny, annoying person that uh, the crew would rather get rid of if they could have, uh, if they had uh, their opinion voiced. And so, so the schedule is not set. So you have to be able to move a few weeks before, a few weeks after, uh, and board at the time. The ports are not set, so they may skip one or add one because the, the cargo uh, can be uh, dictated how, how it should happen. So it's quite fun. And, and it's not that uncomfortable uh, as you uh, mentioned or you thought it could be. It's, you get a very large room. Uh, it's like 30 square meters, 300 square feet. Um, most like of the, the size of your apartment in Paris. Yes, but there is a very nice view out to the ocean <laughs> with your private uh, private bathroom, with a, a couch. Uh, usually you have a private couch. with a common room if ever there are some other passengers with TV and stuff. Um, the captain is responsible for deciding what you, he allows you to do or not. And so sometimes you meet great captains. Most of the time it's great captains. Sometimes eh, you, they really make you think that, uh, well, they accept you because the company said so, but uh, they have uh -huh. a job to do. So I, I was a bit fascinated by the, the, the shipping industry and the, the life at sea in general, uh, still am. So it was great for me to be able to sometimes sit at the table of the captain and talk about their life, how they do things, and uh, and how totally different their, their life is from, from mine. So, so, so I, I crossed the, the Atlantic. I went from uh, Le Havre in North of France to New York. That took uh, 12 days. Okay, that's a classic journey, that one, isn't it? I, I imagine the, yeah. the old uh, ocean liners used to do that route. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's one of the classic ones. I was set at first to uh, depart from Barcelona uh, to uh, New York, but uh, two weeks before they, they called me and said, oops, sorry, cancelled. <laughs> And uh, so, uh, fortunately, they were able to rebook me on uh, something else. And then after that one, I traveled the whole Americas, Central America, and I found another cargo ship from Cartagena in Colombia through the Panama Canal down to Auckland, New Zealand. Wow. 
That was amazing. This one was amazing. The, the captain was Polish guy that was super nice and happy to to talk. And it was a great cruise. That was three weeks at sea. It was amazing. And we were lucky enough to cross the Panama Canal in daylight most of the time. Ah, that sounds that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. I watched, I went to the Panama Canal and I watched uh, a couple of ships go through the locks and I thought to myself how great it would be to be on one of those ships and now I'm talking to somebody who actually made it happen. (laughs) Yeah, I've posted quite a few pictures on my blog at the time, but it's in French, so I'm not sure uh, you uh, you would enjoy it, but you can Google translate it and at least see the pictures. It's uh, called Grand Voyager.fr. Grand Voyager.fr. Yeah, I, I love uh, websites that end with EUR, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, there are some pictures over there. In, in New Zealand, which port did you go into? Auckland. Okay. Yeah, I landed in, uh, in Auckland. I, I, I grew up in Christchurch and my stepfather was working in the port next to Christchurch called Littleton. But I think that would be not so interesting for you to have arrived there. It's, well, maybe not, maybe it'd be interesting, but it's not a very big port these days. I love that in Auckland, I was able to walk out of the gates of the port and down to the city centre. Uh, it's, I think, the only port where I could do that, if I recall correctly, because all the rest you have to take a taxi or you have to take a shuttle to, to the... Right, dock. right. Auckland is very much built around the, the, the water and the port. Yeah, it, was very nice uh, arriving at six in the morning after three weeks at sea in a new country for me I was like whoa <laughs> and do you think you'll get a chance to do some more of this in the future or are your cargo ship days over well i have to convince my wife it's a work in progress at the moment we're cruising so it's the closest i've been able to do so far and i'm actually going to cruise uh, across the panama canal again uh, later this year from uh, we have a cruise from miami to los angeles so I'm quite looking forward to this this one as well. And you'll take time off from Pasua while doing that? Um, I think I may be able to. Um, but, well, I always take the internet package. And last year I was crossing on a cruise ship across the Atlantic and my co-founder was uh, not available. So I was all alone on Pasua and I was able to manage my daily business in the middle of the Atlantic on a satellite connection that was super fast. It was amazing. So nobody knew, that, none of my clients knew that I was in the middle of the ocean trying to support their business and fix bugs and everything worked beautifully. Uh, that's wonderful. Uh, I've done some sneaky things like that myself from time to time where people had <laughs> no idea that I was not writing from a professional setting. Yeah, that's the great thing about nowadays when you can truly be a remote company, you can do supports anywhere i uh, we have a chat box on our site and i have notification on my phones so if i have to go for an errand and something happen or a big client uh, vip one uh, wants to know something or is stuck i can almost at any time sort him out and then it's when i'm sleeping uh, the things that you couldn't even do 10 years ago that we can do now it's wonderful yeah exactly and even um well, the first time I went to Mauritius was early 2010, so 2011, I think. And the internet was so bad. It was, it, it, it was really like uh, it was having a small cable or something. And since then, and now I have a very fast connection. I have 50 megabytes um, fiber optic. Uh, it's incredible how fast uh, the rest of the world evolved internet-wise. That's incredible. 
Okay, I'm going to wrap up now. So thanks very much for being on the on the show, Sylvester. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, you're welcome. Sorry again that I'm pronouncing your name so terribly. But <laughs> as a traveler, you're used to it, I'm sure. Exactly. I don't mind. So tell me, where can people find you if they want to ask you more about some of the things you've been talking about? Well, if they want to ask me personally, uh, maybe Twitter would be the best. I have uh, another play of word with my uh, handle. My Twitter is uh, Sly Bridges. Sly being the short name for Sylvester and Bridges, which is the English name of Dupont, which is my last name. So Sly Bridges, uh, you can reach out to me and ask if you have any questions. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. And Sylvester is also on the Bootstrap forums, so... It's another place yep. you can find them. Absolutely. Okay. And so I think that's about it. It'd be lovely to have you back uh, in a couple of months' time is, so we could talk about some of the other things we didn't touch on today. Yeah, it would be my pleasure. And I'm uh, sorry, I apologize uh, in advance if I butchered a uh, bit of the English I talked. <laughs> <laughs> it's been I'm wonderful. trying. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time. We'll, we'll catch you soon. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Bye. Bye. That concludes this episode of Bootstrap. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Until next episode, goodbye.